really talking about uh, a continuation of the gospel, and we're really talking about what is our message, or proclaiming Jesus in the event that changed the world, and how that maybe is not really the church. I, I think we, as churchgoers, often uh, see our role is to invite people to church. And many of us, uh, I mean, maybe many of us don't do that. We think we should. Uh, but many of us probably, you know, want to invite people to church. But we, listening to our friend or our buddy or brother, we say, well, it's probably not a good fit. Um, you know, they're pretty fancy. Our church is kind of lowbrow or, you know, whatever it might be. We are a little nervous about making that connection. I remember years ago, I was an uh, on-fire believer, and I was the manager of a uh, department at a rig manufacturing company. And uh, I was always sharing the gospel with people, and there was this girl who was this uh, atheist, and she was always kind of mocking. And then one day, she was in a, a real struggle in her life, and she walked in my office, and she said, all right, I'll go to church with you. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? But here's the thought that was in my mind for this Russian Jewish atheist, punk rocker. This isn't going to work. My church is not the church. We need a different venue. We're not going to bring her in. We're going to push her away. Now, I like my church. I like the people at my church. You know, for the most part, God-fearing people. I was a little bit embarrassed of my church. Not for me, but how it fits with other people. I never took her to church. Doesn't that sound terrible? To witness to someone, to share with someone, to pray for someone. Stop short of the church. And when we invite people to church, it's often like this. Hey, you ought to come to church. We have a great youth group. Uh, we have a rock band. That, you know, for the first 20 years of the vineyard, that was the big deal. We got a rock band. Now everybody's got a rock band, so that's no longer this big selling point. So now we say, we got a better rock band. We have the original rock band, whatever it might be. Or maybe there's some other trait. Hey, you don't have to dress up. You can come in your shorts. Selling the church. Let me give you nine reasons why you should come to my church. We have a rock band. We have Starbucks coffee. You can wear your shorts. I mean, you can make your list. And then somebody gives them a chance. Okay, here's the vineyard, a rock band, and shorts, and, and coffee. And, well, you know, I don't really drink coffee. And uh, I think Starbucks is part of the Antichrist, so I, I really don't want to do that. And, you know, and I'm looking over at this other church. They have a bigger rock band. They have three rock bands. And I can look at these different churches and decide which one is the best. Because that's how we make decisions. That's how it works. We do that in politics. Somebody is a, a Trump person. They say, you know, well, Hillary did these things. And so the Hillary people say, well, Trump did these things. And they can go on like that all day long. 
And if you keep the score, you can look at the score, and at the end of the day, you can see who won and who you should vote for. But you see, the list for those two never end. It's just who runs out of bullets first. It never ends. And it's not about Trump or, or Clinton. If you were making a list on me, it would never end also. I mean, you know, the suspicious things of my life, I, quite frankly, I don't even want to see that list. So the church finds itself in a real marketing position and it joins into the system that we, Kim talked about last week. You see, it's in the absence of God in the absence of his influence, in the absence of his priorities and its values, we make those lists. We develop rules. We pick and choose based on the right and wrong I'm creating. I remember back when, when uh, Bill Clinton was in office and he was accused of infidelity with his wife. If you're young and you don't know what that word is, speak to your parents. Or you can look it up. And I remember people who were real Clinton fans saying, you know, everybody does it. He just got caught. You hear the rule there? That's a soft rule, Bill. That's a guideline. I mean, because look at the good stuff. Everybody has bad stuff. So what does that say? Well, we just we don't look at the bad stuff. Until it goes against my rule, then I'm going to look at your bad stuff. You see, we create our identity out of those things. That's how we figure out who we are. I like these kind of people. I don't like these people. I'm more like this. I'm not like that. You see, when I'm in Latin America and they struggle with caste systems and whether your skin is darker or lighter, they struggle with, with different elements that make people higher or lower than others, educational and money issues. And then there's those borders, those strange boundaries that the Spaniards put in place that somehow the Colombians have to disagree with the Venezuelans and the Venezuelans have to be at odds with the Colombians. It's that stupid line. Who put that there? Man did. Man did. You know, if you want to make people proud of something, just build a border around it, call it special. Give it a crest and a, and a flag, and people can feel like there is something powerful here and we have to live and die for it. We call it patriotism. Am I a patriot? I am a patriot. But the Lord has eliminated that border for me. I carry a flag of the kingdom of God. That's the one I bow to. Don't get me wrong. I honor my country. I'm not a hater of my country. I honor my country. You see, the big challenge for Jesus when he was on earth <clears throat> was with the religious people. 
Why? Because they had developed a following around their rules, around their system, around their way of being accepted. You see, it was their system. And Jesus was threatening that system. We can't carry this on these days. We can't do this on those days. We do this, we do this. And if you do these things, God will love you and we will accept you. And Jesus truly simplified that whole concept by saying, well, why don't we not worry about any of that? And why don't we just do what the Father is doing? You see, but that made the playing field level, didn't it? That said that the, that the priest was not higher than me. You see how threatening that can be if I'm the priest? If I have you know, spent my whole life developing this hierarchy that gives me respect, gives me honor, gives me position, gives me identity. That becomes pretty important to me. And now you're coming in and saying, all this work I've done, all this stuff I've established, this wisdom that people think I have, you're saying, oh, that's not worth anything. That's nothing. I'm going to fight you. Because in the absence of something better, it's all I have. They were afraid. See, man was never designed to operate apart from God. He will never do it well. Because that makes your will my will. Your right, your wrong, my right, my wrong, my convictions, your convictions, all subject to what I think, what I believe. You see, when you don't agree with me on certain things, I will find people that do. And people will agree with you, will gravitate to you. And what have we done? We've built these groups of people. And, you know, sometimes in school or churches, they call them cliques. On bigger levels, we can call them people groups. We can call them countries. We can call them states. We can raise the Dallas Cowboy flag and we will get the boos and the cheers. We can raise the Texans flags and we will get the boos and the cheers. That's all man created. To give you identity. To give me identity. <clears throat> Churches are not left out of that. Do you have a vineyard flag? Or a Baptist flag, or Presbyterian, Episcopal. I had a friend in college. She was Irish Catholic. I'd never really heard of Irish Catholic. I said, is that different than Roman Catholic? She said, it absolutely is. I said, I, did not, I was not aware that you had denominations within the Catholic Church. She was offended. We're the Irish Catholic. We're, we're different. We're unique. Really. And she told me how, but I don't recall it because it was not convincing to me. You see, it's all that endless search for that core. What we see in the Old Testament is God enters into the fray of that argument. He comes in with this declaration and he tells the truth about your condition, my condition, and how in the absence of God, we create all that. It's all created. 
We create our philosophies. We create our wisdoms. We create our prose. We, we create poems. We use music and the arts. We do all these things to find our identity. But God declared there's a time coming. There's an event coming. There's a day when I am going to change the world. And God's creation would be restored. <clears throat> and he called it, he didn't use these words, but he calls it the hinge point of all of history is in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. says it like this in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting with verse 33. God restores the identity. I'm sorry, that's my title. God restores the identity and the relationship with man. Verse 33, this is the covenant. This is the agreement. This is the unchangeable promise I will make with the people of Israel. And you can use the term Israel there. That was just the early term in this case for the people of God. If you're a theologian in here, you want to argue that point with me, we'll do that at another time. But just give me this for just a moment. After that time, that time, that event, that moment, after what Jesus does, after that time declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. You won't have to look it up anymore. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. You see, that's you. That's me. Connected with God. I'm free of the religion. I'm free of the rules. You see, I, I'm in a place where God is writing things inside me. Where he's changing things inside me where he's speaking inside me. And even at times when I'm fighting him, I'm wrestling with him, his voice is still there. It's still active. It's still drawing me to truth. You know, when I say, I don't want your truth, God, he said, I know you don't, but what you need, it's what you will like when you get it. You see, the proclamation of God. God calls throughout history and he says, come to the event. Come to the cross. Meet me at the resurrection. He comes to all of history and says, meet me at the resurrection and you will find what you've been looking for all your life. Man will find his soul. He will find his core at the death and the resurrection. Right there in time. If I were to ask you, so what is the 4th of July? Somebody give me an answer. Independence Day. Independence Day. Um, what is Christmas? 
What is Memorial Day? That's a little trickier for you, isn't it? We honor soldiers. What is Easter? The resurrection of Jesus. You see, when we talk about Easter, we talk about the action of the event as it was carried out. But we don't talk about what it resulted in. You see, when we talk about July 4th, that's the day we gained our independence. Not the day that we won a war. It's not the day that we won a war. Oh, we won a war with the British. I mean, probably a third of the people don't even know it was the Brits. That's Independence Day. You see, Easter was an Independence Day, but it was more than that. Finding your soul day. There were things that happened there that, that transferred there that are powerful. And those things are, for us, resurrection means nothing outside of what does it do for you? What does it do for mankind? What was it fulfilling? If I were to say, so... What did we accomplish uh, Vietnam War? I know there could be many different answers in this room. But one of those answers could be, well, we lost 58,000 soldiers. So what was accomplished on the cross? Jesus died. What was good about that? He was resurrected. Well, good for him. I'm glad he survived that deal. What gets lost in that translation? It wasn't about Jesus dying and being resurrected. It was about the pursuit of you and me. It was about me. It was about loving me. Easter is about me. It's about you. That's the beauty of Easter. I know it's not supposed to be an Easter message, but it really is, isn't it? I was talking to Melinda about that. She, says, she said, well, maybe it's a good time to have an Easter message. <laughs> you see, this is what, what the Father was talking about. It's what he was proclaiming all through history. And we see that Jesus joins that. He takes his cue from his Father. John 5, 17. Jesus said to them, my Father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. That was the pursuit of you and me. John 5, 19, just a couple of verses more. Jesus gave them this answer, truly, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. He sees, do you see his connection? As a human being, he's saying, I can't work outside of the Father. I can't work disconnected. I won't function. I won't operate correctly disconnected from the Father. You know, that, that might sound good to us, but it's still foreign to us. I work with my rules. I mean, I, I can tell you. I, I, well, I really I can't tell you. I don't know how many times. I mean, during this last week, I was under attack. 
I was under attack. What does it look like? I get jealous. I can get resentful. I can hear an injustice. And how it hits me. Wow, they had that list of things. They didn't even mention Bogota. Thinking, that ain't right. Blah, blah, blah. You know? That's inside. That's my rules. It's what I see as right and wrong. And the Lord has to come in and say, if that doesn't bother me, why is it bothering you? Well, you have to understand, Lord, I have these rules of justice. I mean, I'm a, I'm a real, I'm a person of justice. God said, well, am I a person of justice? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a person of justice. Well, if I'm not worried about it, why are you? Because it's not what I'm doing. Have you ever been offended and it really was not what the Father was doing? Have you ever had your feelings hurt and it was not what the Father was doing? I know your feelings are hurt, Bill, but I'm not feeling it. Well, I'm feeling it. Why aren't you feeling it? Well, because I'm God and because I see a greater value in the moment than you're looking at. So you want to do what I'm doing right now? Do you want to join me or do you want to go with your own religion for a while? Because, Bill, you can. You've done it. You see, Jesus never lost that connection with the Father. And then Jesus does this crazy thing in this amazing prayer, legendary prayer of John 17. In verse 18, he says this crazy thing to you and me. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now, if you're wondering about if that was really for the disciples, you know, the apostles, the chosen of the moment, his personal entourage, what he goes on to say in that prayer, this prayer is not just for you, but it's all those in the future who will somehow be connected with me because of you, which happens to be everybody. That verse is, Jesus is talking directly to me. He's talking directly to you. He's saying, he's talking to the Father. It's a prayer. Just as you, Father, have sent me into the world, I'm sending Mike, Tasha, Kim, Infinity, Rosie. I am sending you. As I have walked with my father with the proclamation, now I am sending you. Do you hear the difference between proclaiming the church and proclaiming Jesus and the event? Do you hear that, how they can be different? There is no event greater than the Jesus event. There is no moment that can compare. Maybe our rock band is better than some rock bands and not as good as other rock bands. 
maybe our coffee is better than some and not as good as others. I'm sure there's other places you can get, you know, a latte or a cappuccino or one of these things. But the event cannot be beat. Jesus' resurrection had an effect on humanity. And that tops everything. You see, it makes us what the Scripture calls ambassadors of the cross and the resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in the middle of verse 18 through 20. And God has given to us this task of reconciling people to him. He has given you this task. This is coming off of John 17, if you will. He has given you this task of reconciling. It means of bringing people back together with God. That's your job. Not bringing people to the church. Not bringing people to the pastor. Not bringing people to the home group. I realize those are all tools and ways and things like that. But let's not confuse people with where the hope lies. It doesn't really lie in the church. It lies in the history of what God did for mankind. He says, you have been given the task of reconciling people to him. You've given people him You've been given the task to bring people to the event in history that restored them. That's what we offer people. There's no greater thing to do in the world. There's no greater thing that we could ever apply ourselves to than bringing people to their identity and their relationship in the Father. It says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. You see that in John 17? As the Father sent me, I was reconciling the world. Now I am sending you. The Father was in me. Now the Father is going to be in you, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. I want to set you free if you feel like you have to invite people to the vineyard. I mean, if you feel that's a constraint to you. I would much rather be much more interested in you inviting people to Jesus. There, don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a pretty basic pastor. I'd love to be, you know, nine million people in here. But, but that <clears throat> is a distant runner to other things. And part of our challenge is because of our wiring, we often struggle with not doing the same thing with the body of Christ that we do with other things. <clears throat> you see, in the church, we offer many things. You know, we can offer childcare, we can offer youth, we can offer, you know, children's ministry, we can offer these things, worship ministry and divorce care and counseling and marriage counseling, we can offer all those things. 
And, you know, we can use those as tools. Hey, come to our church. We have a great, we have this, we have that, we have this. And, and those are great. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I'm saying that when people come, you see, our, our, really I think our hope is they will just get it. Christ will jump out at them somewhere. Now, now, maybe the church that you go to is full of the power of God, and they just walk in, and they fall on the floor with the, power, the Spirit of God. Bless you. Maybe not. But you see, having a church full of people who are coming because you have goods and services that attract them is not giving them the gospel. Because they come and they participate in the events of your church, it does not say they have come to the event in time that will set them free, that will restore their core. And we can have all kinds of things that point to the core and that talk about the core. But are we inviting people to this place in time that was real? Kim shared with you last week about a priest. Uh, there was an escape from a concentration camp. They were going to randomly select 10 people to kill. One of them that, w uh, that was selected, a priest said, I'll take his place, and the guards let that happen. I want, I want you to think about that. What if you lived the rest of your life knowing somebody died for you? They took your place, another human being. And think about this. You're at the concentration camp, and you know over in the starvation chamber over there where they were starving to death, every day you know there's a man dying in there because you're not. You look at that building every day. You're walking over to get something to eat. You're breathing some air. You have hope to see your family again. But over in that building, there's somebody that's losing their life for you. Would you ever forget that day? Would you ever forget that cost, that commitment? You see it because it's real to you. It's not something on a piece of paper from a couple of thousand years ago. You see, it really happened. It was really a human being who died for me. But as the church, we can create a lot of things and we can, we can feel good about a crowd. But it doesn't mean that we have fulfilled the call of reconciliation. I, I want to, uh, we're going to read something. This is, um, if you don't know who Bill Hybels is, Bill Hybels has a mega church up in the Houston, uh, Chicago area, and he has a number of satellite churches. So I think this was a survey done with about six or eight churches. We're talking about, I don't know, 10,000 people, something like that. Last time I heard, I talked to him, he, his church was, 7,000, something like that. And, and Hybels, Willow Creek Church, you can look them up online. They're, they're an amazing church, I think. And what they have done is they, you know, if you hear Bill's story, you will hear my story. You know, there was this guy that was going through a divorce, and he told his dad, don't invite him to our church. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll seal the deal. He'll never talk to God again, you know. And so burning in his heart was, why does church have to be so different and so weird you know, the bad organ and all this stuff. So they, he started a church, and, and they did skits and plays, I mean, at a, at a professional quality. 
And they did all these things to communicate, and the church grew. It grew by the thousands. And, you know, I went to seminars where he talked about how you can do this to get the people in. And, and I tell you, I think his heart is really the message of reconciliation. I, I don't know a guy that I respect more than him. All right. But they do a survey, and the survey is, have people's lives been transformed by an encounter with the cross and the resurrection? Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois, has done a courageous little study called Reveal, which analyzed its church and six others to determine whether their program were actually producing life change. Their conclusions from the reports of their own people is that participation in a church programming does not affect scientific life change beyond conversion. They concluded that teaching on the practice of the disciplines alone is not enough. There needs to be deep community and coaching and mentoring relationships with those more experienced in the Christian life so that people are trained in how they discipline results in life change. In the forward to the Reveal study, Bill Hybels, the mega church flagship pastor, tells of his pain in hearing from his top leaders that the research they had done on all three decades of Willow Creek Church activities revealed to them that Willow Creek had not done as well as they had thought in making a fully devoted followers of Jesus. He shared that. When I heard these results, the pain of knowing was almost unbearable. Upon reflection, I realized that the pain of knowing, not knowing could be catastrophic. This kind of courageous evaluation and honesty is needed across the board in evangelical ministry, and we are to reconcile our spiritual lives with our real lives. Thank you. <clears throat> you see, what happens for many of us is what the church has done. We, we can be growing in lots of things, but it doesn't mean that we are being changed and transformed by that event. And so there becomes this dual peace. So if we start with what is the message? 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 24. This is out of the message. While Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations, Greeks go on uh, in for the philosophical wisdom. We go right on proclaiming Christ the crucified. Isn't that gutsy? You know, you got programs and you have this and you have that and these array of wisdoms and poetry and all these things. You say, here's what we're carrying. We're carrying Christ crucified. That's what we're carrying. So this week, I'm talking to a 24-year-old girl. She just got out of a mental institution, and she wants to commit suicide. I could tell her about programs for anxiety, depression. I could tell her lots of things. Give her a little bit of wisdom, encourage her, point her to some verses in the Bible that say that she is loved. 
But what she needed was to come to the cross. She needed to come to a place where her identity would be transformed. So I kept asking, why, why is this? Why is this? You know, do you believe this? Do you believe God loves you? I got six I don't knows. That you're going to kill yourself when you have six I don't knows? You need to know something if you're going to kill yourself. So let me tell you where you can clear up every I don't know. Because if you don't go there, your story will end based on the rules and based on the values that you have assigned for you. And you have the power to do that. I or nobody else can take that away. But the truth is, you would be dying for a lie that you embraced. So if you want to know who you really are, if you want to know why you're really here, if you want to know what true right and wrong is, and is there any value in your life, then I would go to the cross. That's where I would go. And I would stay there. Until I had every question answered. And that may take the rest of your life. But what you will find is at the end of that, it will be a fruitful life. It will be a good life. And it will be a, a life that produced value to you. We talked several times. more demon stuff. <laughs> when I left, she smiled and said, I will see you here in two years. I look forward to seeing your face then in two years. Stay at the cross. You won't lose your way. Stay at the cross. What are you proclaiming? What is our church proclaiming? What's the power and the source of your testimony? If it's rooted in your church, you probably need to take it up because your testimony needs to be rooted in the love and the grace and the identity that you will find in Jesus and what he did for you. That's your testimony. And whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, it will carry more weight and power out there than you think. We were, uh, myself and Carlos, we were talking to uh, a guy in a restaurant and um, sharing the gospel with him. And we, we got to the end he said, people come in here and share God all the time. And then he stopped. He said, actually, they come in and share their church. No one's ever shared God with me. I think it's easier to share on our church. We see it. We can touch it. We can describe it. So here's a question. 
Are we more comfortable with the church than we are with the resurrection of Jesus? Are we, I mean, I, I wonder if the priest was just really unsure about this man who died for him. Would he rather talk about the church? Or is he ready to talk about his experience that was life-transforming, life-changing? Perhaps what we need is we need to experience the cross more. We need to become familiar with the message that we've been given. Maybe we're just a little uncomfortable with death, resurrection, cross. Maybe those are all kind of, you know, real terminal words. But Jesus says, you deliver the message, I'll sell it. This really creates kind of a dualism. And dualism, you know, there's a lot of meaning to that. It's kind of from the Greek era. But in this context, we're really saying we compartmentalize things. And you'll see in, in history of religion in the church, in the early church, you'll see where people, you know, they made the body and the physical stuff all evil, and then the spirit stuff was all good. Um, there were lots of ways this thing was diced. But I see a dualism with our church. We've got the church and we've got the cross. And this one's just a little easier for us to sell and see, experience. So maybe we sell and see the church because we really identify more with the church than we do with the cross. Maybe it leaves us really without much power in our message. It's just another church, you know? I mean, is our church the best church in town? Boy, I wouldn't put any money on that at all. Now, I haven't been to other churches. I, I can't say. But, um, I mean, I'm not going anywhere. But I, I, if you gave me a voting card, I wouldn't be confident we'd be at the top other than I love you guys, and I love you most of the time. <clears throat> The other thing we've done with the church is we have divided it, and I'm really pleased with a value or a distinctive of the vineyard that we really do have this concept of everybody gets to play. And the church has, over the years, really created this hierarchy with the called, the anointed are here, and the little people are down here. That is not a biblical model, is it? You see, the people who have experienced the cross become the ambassadors of the cross. You are the front line along with me. We are side by side delivering the truth to the world. You and I reconciling the world to God. We're, we're going over to God and, we're, and we're, we're with his hand and we go over and we get somebody else and we introduce them to one another. This is God. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he loves you so much that in history, he sent his own son to die in your place. He knows who you are. He knows what you like. He knows what you think. He knows you. You see, I think we think, wow, that's a short message. Well, maybe, maybe a short message isn't all that bad. Maybe this message needs to be a little bit shorter. But anyway... Keith Meyer, uh, in the book, I don't remember, 
What's the name of that book? Never mind. Um, he makes this comment. This is a, so a pastor. He says, besides being something here and now, not just in heaven, I also came to see that I kept transformation in only one part of my life, my spiritual life. My real life unaffected by my spiritual life. I think pastors do that all the time. I'm practicing the disciplines. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm doing these things. But is it transferring over? Is my whole life being changed by that? Because you see what the world looks at is not my spiritual life. The world never looks at my spiritual life. You don't even see my spiritual life. Not a bad day, I don't see my spiritual life. But the truth is, you weren't designed to be a spiritual life and a physical life. You weren't designed to be a Christian here and a, you know, a person from Brazoria County over here. You are one person. That's the dualism. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 it says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. That means purify you, make you good, make you healthy. Through and through, may your whole spirit, your soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of you. All of me. My whole body, my whole life has the power to be part of the reconciliation of the world and God. Who, who remembers Barney Fife? He's awesome, man. My whole body is a weapon. That's what he would say. Your whole life is a weapon. A delivery system for the cross. Your wallet your heart, your words, all of you has been put into action that the world that God pursues, you would take them by the hand and you would go to that day in history when God rescued them. You could say, let me introduce you to your dad. He's waited a long time We're done. If you would stand.